بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. This evening we will be talking about the third part of Home Sweet Home, and we're going to talk about two main relationships: the rights, duties, and relationships of spouses, married couples, and the in-laws. How do we balance between all of this? And what does Islam say about it for us to have a harmonious living and to make sure that our marriages last and there is a strong bond between the husband and wife and the children can grow up in a healthy environment and have less headaches around you? My brothers and sisters, let me begin by saying that marriage is an act of worship. When two people get married, it's not just love between two people and it's not just needs. It is an act of worship. And Allah rewards for marriage like He rewards for other acts of worship. And marriage can be a pathway to paradise. But it is also a test. Everything in life is a test. But it's a good test. And it's one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and honors. At the same time, brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us guidance of how to make sure that we live a beautiful life. The husband with his wife, the wife with her husband. And Allah encourages young people to get married. The Prophet ﷺ encouraged young people to get married. He said, Ya ma'ashar al-shabab man istata'a minkum al-ba'ata falyatazawwaj. O young men and O young women, especially the men, whoever is able to afford to provide for a family, for a wife and, and children, then get married. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِيَّكُونُ فُقَرَاءَ Allah says, وَأَنْكِحُ الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِمَائِكُمْ Support and help your single men and women to get married. إِيَّكُونُ فُقَرَاءَ يُغْنِهِمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ If they are financially poor, Allah will assist them by providing them and supporting them. But of course, Allah is talking to the, for the community and the parents to support their children to get married when they're ready and able to provide and mature enough. Brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves marriage. And very quickly to the young people, look, wallahi, I know how hard it is for young people these days. We have so many desires and temptations all around us, whether it's on social media, on our on, on our internet, on our phones, on TV, when we go to work or school, even on your ride to school or to work or coming back home or just walking, everywhere we go, the temptations are tested every single minute. So it's hard. And in this day and age, we live in a hypersexualized society. And the young people are finding it very hard. Marriage is delayed. The society doesn't support it. And for Muslims, it becomes even four times harder. Number one, we tell them, oh, you're not ready for marriage until you're a certain age. Number two, you're not allowed to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Number three, you don't look at haram. Number four, uh, we say to them that it, the only way is to fast. Number five, the temptations are all around them. Number six, in our culture, we make marriage very difficult. Financially, the process is so long, the conditions are so many, subhanAllah. And on top of that, some parents make it even more difficult. They look at their own desires and their own uh, personal uh, needs. So they look as if the person that their daughter or son is going to marry, it's as if they're marrying them. So it's as if they own them and they make it very difficult. Some of them say, let me make an istikhara. You can't make a istikhara for someone else. Some of them, they say, I made a dua 
and Allah showed me that this girl or boy is not good for you. These things are very selfish. And then, or some, some parents believe that that's the way to go, but this is wrong. This is ignorance. This is not the way. So the person who has to make this tikhar is a person going to get married. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that Islam is not the thing that, made, that makes it hard on you. Islam came to make marriage and relationships easy and simple and straightforward and guide you. But it's society that makes it hard. There are people who earn billions of dollars off young people's sexuality and their bodies. The girls and the women are the product and the boys and the men are their customers and a little bit of both. And what they've done is they've exploited our minds and young people's minds to make them think, especially the girls, that you know, the meaning of independence and the meaning of being a strong woman is to delay your marriage, is to follow your career and the education as a priority, to uh, love herself in the sense of do whatever you want so long as you're happy, and even to hate men. Whereas in Islam, it tells you you can pursue your career, you can pursue your education and still love yourself, but change the priorities. Your priority is your femininity. Your priority is, as Allah created you in your nature, don't, look, don't go past the motherhood. Don't devalue motherhood. Don't devalue being a wife. Don't devalue relationships and partnerships. And you know, we hear a lot about some of our sisters as they get older and they get affected by all this. They delay it until they're close to menopause. And then we see now on social media and, and articles where young, uh, late when ladies come up and they, even non-Muslims, they regret and they think I've lost my life and I would, would have loved to be a mother earlier and I would have loved to have a partner relationship. I want my children. And also with men, it makes them hate the idea of marriage by giving them alternative, uh, inappropriate and uh, haram you know, images and things like that. So that the young man thinks to him, why, why would I need a wife? I'll just serve my desires in that way. The hell with marriage. The hell with a woman coming and, uh, you know, restricting my sexuality and restricting my desires and telling me what to do and then, and then throwing me away to rot, you know, for some reason. And the society that we live in is to be blamed. A teenager can have a relationship and have sex with another teenager in the name of exploring, in the name of uh, growing up. And... Sexuality has become superficial. Young people, they find it hard to talk to their parents about marriage. So I invite parents and I encourage them to open the door to talk to your young sons and daughters about relationships and marriage. Enough of it being a taboo topic. I am sick in my education field of hearing parents who attack us as teachers, as imams, to stop us from talking about this topic to their young people and then they come running to us when something goes wrong. I'm actually getting angry right now, but I'm going to calm myself down. Because these young people, I'm concerned about them and they break my heart. My young sons and daughters, excuse me if I called you that because I'm like your father's age, don't blame religion and try to talk to your parents about this inshallah. You know, when young people don't have this outlet to talk about their natural needs and desires and what a relationship about, they go and look for other outlets. And that is why we see how some of our sisters are going on social media to decorate themselves and display themselves because she wants to see if she's um, sexually attractive. She wants to see if she's wanted and needed. She wants to see if she is desired. You know, she wants to talk to, to guys so that, that she can see if she is valued. She's, you know, still attractive and wanted. The guy wants to 
see another outlet since their parents and whoever around them don't give them that space they go and explore their own and where are they going to explore brothers and sisters the world the society is open for them to teach them about anything about sexuality and it is void of morality and religion why don't you sit them down and you learn about it and teach them there is no taboo there are over three thousand questions in the books of fiqh just about sexuality over three thousand masail Mas'ala, uh, questions among the fuqaha, and we make it a taboo topic. Ah, oh, they're still young, and we call them little kids. No. In this society, we see that marriage is placed in the last thing to go for, and that's why there's a high rate of divorce. Because it's about the individual, it's about your needs and desires and wants, that's about it. We're not addressing it at a young age. And then in this society, they tell you it's okay to have a boyfriend and girlfriend, it's okay to sleep around, so long as there are two things. There's consent. They say if a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old, both of them give consent. Yes, okay. And then they say to you, use protection. That's, what is this, like going to an ice cream store and just trying all the different gelati tastes? What's going on with this? And they call them kids. Oh, they're just children, as if they're sitting in a sand pit and they're building sand castles together. When they're experimenting with the most dangerous part, there's heartbreaks, there's sexual assaults, there's rape, there's pregnancies, unwanted pregnancies, and then there's abortions as a result, teenagers getting abortions. Along with STDs, there are over 30 different types of STIs and over 20 different types of STDs. One's a disease, one's an infection. And then they say use protection. It's like giving a little child a machine gun and says, shoot wherever you want, but just don't point it to humans and animals. Seriously, it's a child who's going to shoot everywhere and kill everyone. So, but you're not allowed to get married. So brothers and sisters, I mean, look at Islam as a solution for you. And I, and I plead to parents to open up this topic with their children and stop making it a taboo topic. Help the educate us Muslim schools. Don't stand in our way all the time. And at the same time, children, Try to open it up with any member of your family who is old enough, who is willing to have an open mind to talk to you about it. Maybe your parents just don't know what to say. And I do encourage the parents to have an open conversation with their brothers and sisters so that they can understand that they are valuable, they are adults at a young age, and to respect the idea of sexuality, marriage, partnership, the need of having a partner, and tell them this is very normal. It's okay. Don't say, oh, you're too small to talk about it. She's 13 for crying out loud. She's got desires. He's got desires. As a teacher, I'm telling you this from experience, brothers and sisters, is what we see. Anyway, that's a whole topic as an introduction to spouses and marriage in a family. When we talk about these, we are training them and preparing them for marriage. And then their problems will be less, inshallah. My brothers and sisters, spouses, in Islam, when you get married, you are entering into what is called a covenant. A covenant in the Quran, Allah calls it mithaqan ghalidha. It is a promise and a sealed agreement between you and that person that you are marrying. The Quran calls it a firm covenant in chapter 4, verse 21, meaning a firm covenant of fidelity. What is fidelity? Fidelity is the opposite of infidelity, which means strict and continuing faithfulness to an obligation, trust, duty, and loyalty to one another. Under Allah's name, when you get married, you're doing it under Allah's name. Why under Allah's name? It means that it is under His authority, the boundaries He set between you, 
and with his blessings. So now the husband and wife in Islam get married under this contract and this agreement of bond, agreement of a promise and a covenant, a serious covenant where you now have rights and duties towards each other and you are there for each other to build, love each other, help each other, support each other, grow together and raise those children as the generation which Allah has entrusted you with as a result of this covenant. But under Allah, which means under Allah's guidance, which means both of you need to fear Allah. And I advise you before getting married, do a, and try to find a series or a course about the rights and duties of a married couple before you enter. And focus, if you're a man, focus on what your duty is towards the wife that you're going to marry. And if you're a sister, focus on the duties that you need to have towards your husband, as Islam says it. And a woman, at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, she refused to get married. And her father went and complained to the Prophet ﷺ, said, Ya Rasulullah, my daughter is growing older, and she's refusing to marry. What should I do? He said, bring her to me, let me talk to her. When he spoke to her, he asked her why. And she said to him, Ya Rasulullah, I refuse to get married until I know what Allah is going to ask me about my duties towards that man. What do I have to do? I need to know, I need to know what his rights are. She's not even asking about her own rights. Subhanallah. Why? She's asking about what Allah is going to question her because she knows marriage is an act of worship. She fears Allah. Beautiful woman, tabarakallah. And when the Prophet ﷺ told her about the rights, she found herself not ready yet. She said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm not ready to fulfill that yet. I need to go back and think about this. So he said to her father, you can't force her. Leave her until she's ready. Subhanallah. Another woman came to the Prophet ﷺ, said to him, Ya Rasulullah, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So she said, Ya Rasulullah, my father forced me to marry this particular man. And I didn't want him. But I had no choice. So Rasul said to her, it's up to you. Either you can stay with him, or if you want, I can divorce you from him. Do you see? And she replied, I'll accept my father's decision and stay with him. So it's an arranged marriage that was forced on her. But she said, I wanted the other women to know that in Islam, women have a right not to be forced into a marriage or their father marrying them off without her consent. Same with the boy, but more on the girl. But in our culture, the culture of a lot of the people is that they kind of force the girl a little bit more. They think they own her. And the boy as well. I hear about a lot of these cases. Uh, one brother said to me, well, actually a few brothers, they, I hear this from my friends who are older and they've got daughters and sons. He I had a group of brothers who were sitting together talking about this topic and they said, you know, Wallahi, if my son doesn't marry the girl that I choose for him, I will not accept. I said to him, how could you say such a thing? He said, yeah, Islam tells me because I know what's best for him. I go, okay, and what if it didn't work out and he got divorced? He's going to blame you. He said, oh, no, I didn't think about it that way. He said, if you want harm and you can only advise your daughter, advise your son. Those they marry, if it doesn't work out, wallahi, you're going to be the biggest enemy. They're going to say, it's your fault. They'll never listen to you again. It might work. It might not. And I'm not saying that arranged marriages is forbidden in Islam. Arranged marriage is halal in Islam. 
But the only condition about arranged marriages, if you want to go on that path, there's several ways, Yanni, but one of them, if your culture says arranged marriages, the only condition about arranged marriages in Islam is that once it comes time to marry them, both the girl and the boy have a right, 100% right, with no compulsion, to say no, I don't want this marriage. And the parents, it is incumbent upon them. It is compulsory upon them to listen to their children if they don't want to marry them. They can try to convince them, but back off. Back off, subhanAllah. And I just quoted for you the hadith which is Zahi Muslim about the woman that said, Ya Rasulullah, I was pressured and forced into it and I didn't want it. And he gave her the option of leaving the marriage. SubhanAllah. The opposite is true. I have stories of girls and boys, sisters and brothers. I, I, I do their marriage. As you know, I do a lot of marriages for people. They got people who get married. And then after that, a conflict arises. And the parents force them to get divorced. Why? Because they can't get along with their family or something. But the boy and girl want each other. Again, this is oppression. Haram. You cannot force your daughter and son to, to divorce each other. This is haram. Wallahi haram. It's a major sin. Subhanallah. So these are things I wanted to say. Brothers and sisters, rights and duties between the husband and wife. How beautiful is our sharia that it drew a line between the dignity and rights of the husband, the dignity and the rights of the wife, the rights of the in-laws, the rights of the children. And I want to start by saying, when we talk about rights and duties, listen carefully. Are you listening? When we talk about rights and duties, this is not what relationships are based on. You might ask me, what do you mean? Then why are there rights and duties? Do you know when the rights and duties, or maybe the rights, rights, do you know when the rights are talked about between a, a couple? The rights are talked about when there is conflict. When there's conflict between them and there's no solution, that's when the mediator or the judge or the family comes back and says, okay, let's see what Islam says about your right and her right. That's the only time we go to rights. The other reason we have rights and obligations is so that you, whether you're a husband or a wife, if there is conflict with the in-laws and the family or your siblings or whatever it is, you've got a basis, you've got a standard by which you can work with. So you know this is the bottom line. This right is the bottom line. So you don't feel guilty if you need to tell your mother, for example, if you're the son and need to tell your mother, mother, I love you and I'm here for you no matter what. But this is a boundary which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had written as a right for my wife. You can tell your wife, I love you and you're everything to me. But this is the boundary that Allah had written for my mother. And so on. And she can tell her husband the same thing. So it's something to fall back on in the time of conflict. Otherwise, who's right and who's wrong? We'll just keep going in circles. So there is a standard. And the standard that we take it from is from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why from Allah? Because he created the man and the woman. And who knows best about the man and the woman? Allah. Yani you don't go to a hairdresser if you've got a heart problem. And you don't go to the cardiologist if, you've, if you want to get a hairstyle. You go to each person according to their expertise. You go to the manufacturer of your car because they know best. You go to a mechanic for your car. You don't go to a shoemaker. You don't go to a blacksmith. Allah who created the man and the woman knows best. 
And our morals, our standards are based on that, alhamdulillah. So, I'm happy they understood this. So what is marriage based on in Islam? It is based on, my dear brothers and sisters, on peace, tranquility, generosity, mercy, sincerity, giving more of your goodness to each other, giving more than the rights, doing more than your obligations, doing what makes you love each other more. What is it that brings you closer? Do that. Uh, relaxing your rights. When you relax your rights, you bring the person closer. They love you more. If I've got a problem with my brother over here and I forewent my right a little bit to establish the brotherhood, he's going to love me more. Unless he's a user. But then I'll, there's another solution for that too. But, sorry, Akhi, you're not a user, definitely. Allah says in the Quran, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ Allah says in Surah Al-Rum verse 21 And one of his signs is that he created for you your spouses from your own kind that you may find peace and comfort in them, and he has placed between you compassion and mercy. Surely in this are signs for people who reflect. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, the words used here? Compassion, kindness, mercy, finding comfort and peace together. You cannot find comfort and peace if your relationship is based only on black and white rules and rights and duties. That's what you do in court. That's what you do with your colleague at work. That's how you treat someone who's into a business transaction with you. You base it on rights and responsibilities. So when you depart, there's no feelings between you. There's no obligations other than that. But when it comes to a husband and wife and family, there are emotions involved. There's love involved. There's life involved. There's personalities involved. Having said that, brothers and sisters, the best type of relationships, the best type of relationships in the family are the ones that are based on flexibility. Repeat after me. Based on? The word is flexibility. Say it. I'm going to be flexible, inshallah. You cannot have black and white relationships, brothers and sisters. You have to be flexible. Why do you have to be flexible? Common sense. Any relationship that involves two people or more requires flexibility because your, your, your relationship is with people who whose emotions go up and down. They've got different emotions, different personalities, different beliefs. Your father and mother, your wife, your children, your husband, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your <coughs> brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your siblings. All of these people are different. All of them have different mood swings. You can't go black and white. You have to give and take. You have to be flexible. Sometimes you have to sit down with your wife and husband, or your husband and wife together, to re-communicate and re-manage how you're going to deal with certain members of your family. So long as the husband and wife are on the same page. So long as the husband and wife are on the same page. And remember, in Islam, the Qur'an draws the importance of relationship in the following order. The closest ones together, the most beloved ones to you are your children. They come first. The second most closest is the husband and wife. 
you're thinking, what about the mother? That's when you were single. But when you get married, that wife and those children are dependent only on you. Your mother is dependent on your father if he's still alive. Your father, he's, de- he's, he's already, Allah has given him his responsibility. You've got siblings, you've got relatives. They have their rights. But your wife and children, the responsibility is on you. She left her family to be with you. You left your family to be with her. And now you've got these children. So let's talk about it. You need to focus on that. Then comes your mother and father, then your siblings. My brothers and sisters, Allah says in the Quran, Live with your wives in a good and fair manner. Surah An-Nisa, verse 19. The meaning of live with your wives in a good and fair manner has three meanings. Write them down, memorize them. What does عَاشِرُوهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ Live with them on goodness, on that which is fair and good. Three meanings. It means avoid harming each other. That's the first meaning of living in goodness. Meaning avoid harming each other physically, verbally, mentally, emotionally, and intimately. Number two, exert kindness. Kindness. Kindness means that when somebody, when it's not your duty, but you do it. It's called kindness. And Rasul Sallallahu described a believer. He said, Al-Mu'minu kayyisun fatin. Uh, sorry, Al-Mu'min ra'uf rahim. A mu'min is easygoing, kind, and merciful. Rasul Sallallahu said, Irhamu turhamu. Give mercy, you'll be given mercy. Laysa minna man lam yarham. He's not one of us, not, a, not an example of Muslims. Whoever does not give mercy, so you have to have mercy with each other. And number three, not delaying or neglecting obligations. So now we've got three meanings for living with them in good manners. Number one, avoid harming them. Number two, kindness. Number three, not delaying or neglecting your obligations. That's what living with them, bil ma'roof, as Allah ordered. My brothers and sisters, so why did Islam establish rights? As we said before, I explained that. <clears throat> It also tells you with the rights to know yourself when you're sinful by disobeying a certain person of your family and when you're not sinful. Some brothers, when they get married, they don't know how to differentiate between when they're wronging their mother and wronging their wife. Or, wronging, or, or a sister doesn't know when she's wronging her father and wronging her husband. How does she draw the line? How does she work with it? Knowing the rights, your rights, their rights, your boundaries, their boundaries ensures that you know where you stand and where they stand. Correct? So you don't feel that you're disobeying your parents because if when you don't know it, I've seen this happen, oh, this, is a, this leads up to divorce. How? And hatred. For example, when the husband doesn't know how to separate the rights of his mother and the rights of his wife, he becomes into a conflict. And he loses his manhood and masculinity in front of his wife she cannot rely on him and she feels that she's alone. Because a wife, what does she want? She wants a husband who is confident, can make decisions on his own. She wants a husband that there's no one externally who's making him decide his family matters. The worst thing for a woman is to know that his mother or his father or his brother or his sister are dictating how he should run his life. And same with the husband. The worst for him is for, to hear about his wife 
that everything her mother tells her or her father tells her about their relationship, she comes and gives him a headache about it. He may see that living together at a particular place is better for their family, but she says, no, my mother needs me here, I've got to stay here. And she's got many siblings and you find the husband going through strife, for example, whatever the reason. So brothers and sisters, knowing the rights and obligations, knows you how to separate. And in separation like that, wallahi, it's actually better for everybody. It's better for your parents and for you. We're going to explain a little bit about that. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm going to explain the duties and the rights anyway, so that you know what the minimum standards are. But remember, what did we say? These are just in times of conflict. That's all. Otherwise, you should be generous. That's how love grows. Love will not grow just from rights and responsibilities. So when I talk about the duties of a husband and the duties of a wife, I want you to know that automatically, if the husband does his duty as Allah commanded him, the wife does her duty as Allah commanded her, automatically, automatically, the other person's rights are also met. If the husband does his duty towards his wife, it means her rights are met. If the wife does her duty towards the husband, it means the, the husband's rights are met. That's how the Sharia has perfectly put it together, mashallah. Wallahi, we are blessed with the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That if you do your duty, they do their duty, the rights are met automatically. In Islamic Sharia, the rights and duties between husband and wife, I want you to remember this word, they are not equal. They are not the same. There's another word for it in Islam. It is called counterbalanced. What is it? Counterbalanced. The rights are in accordance with the way Allah created them and what He knows is best befitting for them. For what purpose? For them to live a better life. When you go against your nature, that's when your stresses rise. That's when conflicts happen. A man has a nature, a woman has a nature, and there are things that are mutual between them. When you want to go against that nature, your, your, your feminine nature, your masculine nature, that's when conflicts start to happen. Big conflicts. Naturally. No matter what the society and movements tell you. So they are counterbalanced. Meaning if one has a certain right over the other, the other has a counter right against the other. In equal balance. They are divided according to the way Allah deems fair and appropriate between them to ensure a healthy and harmonious family and to raise their children in a healthy way in their best interest. At the end of the day, it's about the best interest of your children. And if you don't know who you are and where you stand, your children will be lost. However, the husband in Islam, the husband has only one degree of responsibility over the wife. One. If you were to count all the rights and duties of the husband, all the rights and duties of the wife in Islam, you'll find that they are absolutely equal in number. Not all the same, but equal in number. And then the, fa the husband has one extra degree of responsibility. One. Let's have a look at this one extra degree. It is called in the Quran, Al-Qawwamah. Al-Qawama means simply the leader, the leader of his house, the protector, and the maintainer. Leader, protector, and maintainer. And subhanAllah, women in their nature, 
you find that they react to that when there's conflict. They say, you're meant to be the leader. You know, you're supposed to lead us. You're not a man where you're supposed to protect us. You're not a man you're supposed to spend on us. Even non-Muslim women do that in the courts. We see it all the time. I've been to the courts so many times, I've seen it. Muslim or non-Muslim, that's their nature. And Allah said, yes, that is your right. So Allah made the man in that position because Allah knows He created the man to be more befitting for that position than the wife. More befitting. Why? Because the wife has other duties which the man doesn't have, such as pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, raising the child from at least zero to eight years old. It needs the mother more. In that meantime, the responsibility of leadership, protection, and maintenance is on the man. Having said that, brothers and sisters, it necessitates that now the man has one extra right. Why does he have that extra right? Not because of superiority. There is nothing in the Quran about Allah says men and women are equal to Allah. In fact, a wife can be highly more superior than her husband in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look, for example, for example, in Surah At-Tahrim, Allah gives the example of the wife of Pharaoh. Asya, radiallahu anha, the wife of Pharaoh. She followed Moses, and Pharaoh is an enemy of Allah. But Asya, his wife, was a woman of righteousness among the four perfect women of the time. Who's Pharaoh? Nothing. So Allah does not make a man superior to woman or woman superior to the man. Abadan. At all. But the right that the man has over his wife is a right of responsibility, which means the wife needs to help him by following him in that way. Helping him. Your duty, my dear sister, is to help your husband, help him, motivate him, and help him to feel confident about himself, to be your leader, to be your maintainer, and to be your protector. If you stand in his way, you break him. And we break the family too. You worry about your duties and your motherhood. Focus on those children. That's where your power is, subhanAllah. And that is why Rasul said, your mother, your mother, your mother, then your father. So everything is balanced. Everything is balanced. My brothers and sisters, what does it mean also? It means it's a responsibility to make sure that his wife and children are protected, provided for. Decisions he makes are in their best interest. And he needs to work with his wife in good treatment and value. When Allah made the husband the leader, protect and maintainer, it does not give him the right to act as a dictator. Allah did not say you're a dictator. Allah did not say you're a boss. Allah did not say you own them. Allah did not say that. Allah said, live with them on goodness and fairness. That's what Allah said. And not to abuse that right that Allah gave you, turning it into a power of control. That's a major sin. That's oppression. Allah gave you that wife to look after her. And you abuse that right, which Allah gave you as a responsibility, and you turn it into control. Allah is going to punish that man. All right. Allah says in the Quran, وَلَهُنَّ مِثْلُ الَّذِي عَلَيْهِنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَلِلْرِجَالِ عَلَيْهِنَّ دَرَجَةٌ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ 
In chapter 2, verse 2 to 5, women have rights similar to those of men equitably or fair manner. Although men have a degree of responsibility above them, and Allah is almighty, all wise. Look at these words, almighty, meaning the husband is not almighty. Allah is the almighty, meaning he is working under God, under the almighty. So almighty is for the man to remind him, you, I did not give you this responsibility as a superiority. You are not almighty. I am almighty. And for the wife to know that this husband of yours, Allah did not give him that as an almighty person over you. Know that your Lord is the almighty. And the second part, all wise, is to let the wife know as well that Allah has made him like that as for a wisdom that is in your best interest. But of course, the husband has to obey Allah and fear Allah in that. My brothers and sisters, moving on. First, before I talk about the rights and responsibilities, I want to talk about four things a wife loves in her husband and four things a husband loves in a wife. I think there's more, but I'm just going to say these four. If you can do them, ah, oh, mashallah, you'll have a beautiful life, enjoyable one with your spouse in every way, inshallah. So four things a wife loves in her husband. These are not from me. I've done lots of research in this area, long years from experts and Muslim judges who talked about it. This is decades of research. I'm just summarizing for you, you know, putting it on a plate for you, inshallah. <laughs> Number one, the four things a wife loves in her husband. They said she loves when he defends her, protects her, and supports her. A wife loves to see that in her husband, even if she doesn't admit it. She likes it. A husband who defends her, protects her, and supports her. Number two, he listens to her. Listens to when listens to her, meaning that doesn't mean he has to obey everything. Listens. As in when she says, he listens. He listens to her emotions. He listens to her words. He listens to her. And he's patient with listening. And he talks to her. So yeah, honey, brothers, when your wife is listening, to, when you're listening to your wife, throw in another word whenever you get a break to show her that you have been listening. Wallahi, think about yourself. When, when, when somebody listens to what you're saying and then they say, so, so this is what you said, you feel special that they actually gave value to your words. Even if they disagree, they gave value to your words. Think about that. Number three, she loves her husband to be tender, physic, to give her tender physical touches. Yeah, and you like this, little hug, kiss on the forehead. Tender physical men. Did you hear what I said? Don't think too far. You've got to go tender, physical, touches and be gentle as a general thing. Number four, he compliments her and shows her interest. He compliments her and shows her that he's interested in her. The newness goes away after six months, one year. You guys are going to get a little bit bored of that. No, you've got to keep going, inshallah. Renew it. Try other ways. Number five, makes her feel secure and safe that he will not leave her and look for another woman. This is the biggest fear women have, Muslim and non-Muslim, that their husband is going to betray them. And I think that's the reason, which is wrong, why some women think that they tell each other this. I've heard it. I know the insides and outs of these things. We hear stuff. And they say to each other, hey, don't show him that you love him too much because he'll leave you. These men, they'll look other way, but keep him on edge. This is wrong, brothers and sisters. Now we go to the four things a husband loves in his wife. Number one, on top of the list, there is nothing more important than this number one, sisters. Respect. 
Now you might say, but what about me? I need respect too. Yes. The respect we're talking about with the man is a little bit different. It's a little bit stronger. It's a little bit more serious. What are we talking about respect here? Respect his leadership. Respect that he's your protector. Respect that he's your provider. The duty which Allah gave him, that one extra degree. Respect that. Don't put him down. Don't say, look at, look at your brother. Look at those other guys. They buy this and that for their uh, wives. You're nothing. You're a stingy person, among other words. You're a lazy, fat, obnoxious, blah, blah, blah. You never, never, never. Yachti, really? Never? Come on. At least one out of a thousand. Never? Always? You always? Never always. Take it easy. At the same time, men, just let it go. Don't, don't hold on to those words. That's how women, uh, they like to express. That's fine. But sister, respect. Respect his, uh, the fact that he is the leader of the house, the protector, and the maintainer. I think sisters understand this in their nature. Number two, the man likes uh, his wife to look good for him. He likes his wife to look good for him. This creates a bond in your relationship. The biggest thing a man hates is when a wife looks bad for him at home and looks good for everyone else outside. She looks amazing outside. And then he starts thinking. The shaitan comes to him, sisters, and he says to the man, look at her. She's not really there for you. What did you get married for? When she's outside, everyone enjoys the way she looks. When she's inside, you don't get to enjoy the way she looks. And that's when he starts looking elsewhere. So this is Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. He used to say, uh, when, he used to, when, when people visited him, he would open the door and he would look really nice. More, better than outside. And they said to him, why do you do that, Ibn Abbas? He says, I like to look good for my wife as she looks good for me. So that's very important. Number four shows confidence in him and his abilities. So the sister appreciates his efforts, she appreciates his help, she appreciates his tiredness. I said this last time that randomly say to your husband, just out of the blue, once every week, once every two weeks, once every three weeks, once every month, I appreciate your effort. Wallah, I couldn't do it without you. Subhanallah, the stuff that you're doing, say it. He's your husband, say it. Wallahi, you will pump him up and make him amazing. Your words go a long way. Don't get stingy with words. He's your husband. For a man, it means a lot. I'm telling you, it means a lot. Number four, she speaks well of him to her family and his family. She doesn't go to her mum and dad and says, man, he's, he's a this and he's a that, and complains night and day. No, 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 no. You will make your life hell. Not from him, from your family. Every time you get along with your husband, you go back, <laughs> what? You did, he doesn't deserve it. And your sisters play a role, your brothers play a role, your father and mother play, your cousins play a role. And suddenly everybody's involved in your life. Why? Because you let it out. You went and told them. Same with the husbands. And lastly, physical touches. Men love physical touches from their wife. <clears throat> so what makes a woman unattractive to her husband when she has masculine traits? If a wife always gets angry and full of tension, a man does not see a feminine woman in front of him. Number two, she shouts all the time. Number three, she jumps to take leadership over her husband's duties or his actions. He's doing something. Even, even, let's say he changed the nappy 
And he says, you know, like, mothers do this better, but let's say he changes the nappy. So she just jumps in, takes her off, says, let me do it. But she does it in a way like as if he doesn't know. Just let him, let him do it. Or she goes to mow the lawn without yani, anything. Don't jump to take leadership, even if you know how to do it better. Leave him alone. He hates that. This is a masculine trait that he looks at you with. Instead of saying, give that to me, I'll do it. Uh, you make appointments uh, on behalf of him. Uh, you make decisions for the family without consulting him. You set up activities without discussing it with him. Uh, you set him up anyway, even if he disagrees. These are all masculine traits in a family that the husband hates. And lastly, a loud voice. If you're constantly loud, you're loud-voiced woman, the man doesn't get attracted to that. So what makes a man unattractive to his wife? Everything. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I'll say at least five things. What makes a man, unattracted, uh, a man unattractive to his wife is the opposite. When he's got feminine traits. She didn't marry a woman. So Allah says you support each other's needs. So for example, he has a weak personality and lack of confidence. Number two, we said it before, he cannot make his own decisions. He listens to his parents and siblings in his, about his family decisions. He constantly lies. One of the worst things women hate is a constant liar. But I want to ask the sisters a question. What if sometimes he told you the absolute br brutal truth? Are you going to like it? So maybe, uh, maybe let go of a couple of white lies, I think. Uh, another one is stinginess. She hates a stingy man uh, who doesn't like to spend on his family. And lastly, violence and degrading her. Once uh, a man is violent and degrading of his, of his uh, wife, that's it. She, uh, she, she, makes, uh, uh, she formulates an opinion about him. And that's how, you know, all sorts of bad things happen. Let's look now at the rights. Number one, there are mutual rights. Number two, there are women's rights. Number three, there are men's rights. And then the in-laws. I'm going to go through them quickly. The mutual rights. The mutual rights are about 70 or 80%. Both men, husband and wife have this towards each other. The first one, good treatment to each other and intimacy. So according to each, uh, each other's needs... Physically, verbally, emotionally, mentally, and sexually. Allah says, live with your wives in a good and fair manner, and wives live with them in a good and fair manner. Number two, uh, Rasul told us to be, be, be tender and gentle with our wives, and the wife to also uh, think of her husband's, uh, as I said before, his efforts, and so on, and to thank him for it. The Prophet <clears throat> used to share with his wife how she eats. So, for example, she said, one day I was eating a bone, a, 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 a bit of meat on a bone. I was eating it from one side. Then the Rasul took it from me, and he ate from exactly the place that I was eating, deliberately, to show that he loves her and how tender. Uh, even when his wife was menstruating, he still was intimate with her in other ways. To show her she is not dirty. She's not impure. And uh, he used to race with her. And uh, Rasulullah once uh, a plate of food entered. I think I said it before. And it broke. And he was tender with him. The plate of food broke on the floor. So one of his wives brought in. She sent with her servant a plate of food to the Prophet Wasallam when he was with his other wife. And Anas, the young man, he was sitting there, and he says, the Prophet's wife, 
mother of the believers, she got jealous. So she hit the servant's hand and the plate of food fell on the ground. The plate broke and the food went on the floor. And uh, Rasul comes up. He's a bit embarrassed in front of the guests and what she did. But he said nothing to Aisha. He leaned down. He picked up the broken glass of the, or whatever it is, of the plate, put the food in another plate, and then he said to Anas radiallahu anhu, Inna ummakum taghar, your mother, she gets jealous a lot. That's it. And he was smiling. He took the, actually he wasn't smiling, he wanted her to learn. He took a, 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 a good plate from her house and sent it back to his other wife, and that was over and done with. He didn't make a drama out of it. This could have been World War III. But Rasul he reduced it. You can make pebbles out of mountains or mountains out of pebbles. Number two, being safe around each other. The husband and wife must feel safe around each other to communicate physically, emotionally, mentally, intimately. They must safeguard each other's dignity and honor. Your dignity and your honor, you must safeguard it. Uh, respect personal property. It is not permitted for a husband or a wife to spy on each other's personal devices without permission, unless in the beginning you have a mutual agreement. And obviously the more transparency there is, the better. But in general, you don't. Number, unless, unless a husband has a well-founded reason to suspect his wife of some kind of betrayal, or of a perceived harm after he saw signs that's going to come to his family or his wife. He can spy to protect the family. Can the wife do that? Yes. But the condition is under very strict measures. When truly and honestly you have rationally seen signs that are a danger to your family or betrayal. And even then I say, don't go to the devices, because a person can hide stuff, can use another phone. So it's not really wise. What's the alternative? Talk. Tell her, tell him, I suspect this, this is what I'm seeing. At the end, maybe things will change, or maybe inshallah, if you're just doubting wrong, it'll go away. But never spy because you have paranoia. There's a difference. Husband having paranoia about his wife, wife having paranoia about husband, this is suspicion of, of haram. Allah says, Avoid much suspicion. Suspicion, a rational suspicion is a sin. Number three, to maintain their family ties. A husband and wife, when they get married, the husband is not allowed to put a rule. She's no longer allowed to see her family. They're not allowed to come to his house. A wife cannot put and restrict his freedom to see his family and to cut off ties. And if, they, if he orders her that way, she has a right to disobey him and there is no sin upon him because this is haram. And they have a right to their friends. A husband, because he got married, doesn't lose his friends. A wife gets married, doesn't lose her friends. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And we mentioned last week that Rasul he honored the friends of Khadija radiallahu anha. Khadija radiallahu anha had passed away. And the Prophet was seen by Aisha radiallahu anha. 
talking to an elderly woman and smiling. He was enjoying his time. She was over 70. She said to him, Who is that old woman emphasizing she's old? Ya Rasulullah. A messenger of Allah, he says, Ah, oh, she's just a friend of Khadija's. She says, I never got jealous of any woman except Khadija even after her death. And then, I, and then he said, We were remembering the good old days. That made it even worse. Aisha Radalana says, Alam minha. Did, but didn't Allah give you someone better than her, like me? And the Prophet said, La wallah. No, wallahi. She supported me when everyone else left me. She believed me when everyone said I was a liar. She gave me her home when I was homeless. And Allah gave me children of her. No, wallahi, lam yubdila. Allah did not give me a better wife. And she said, from that day, I never said a single word about Khadija radiallahu anha. Now we come to the rights of the wife. The rights of the wife will start with the financial ones. The wife has three financial rights. Okay, so let's count four. Four financial rights. The first right is called the mahar, the dowry at the time of marriage. The second one is the day-to-day -day living expenses. Food, drink, clothing, security, medical expenses, transport for her needs, hygiene products, and a difference of opinion, but I follow the valid view of the jurist, which is the majority, her beauty products. So long as she uses her beauty products for her home. <laughs> Can you imagine he buys her beauty products and she uses them everywhere except for him? Except for her home. No. No, don't do that. Number three, her housing. She has a right to her own independent, separate housing and dwelling accommodation to his parents or anyone else with all of its amenities. This is her right. Sometimes when I do marriages, they ask me to write that as a condition. And I get surprised, wallahi, that Muslims still until now, 1,400 years, we still don't know that the wife has a right to her dwelling. We still think that we have to obey our parents in, when we get married, we have to live with them according to their command. And if we leave, the dua will get us. No, no, your parents are in the wrong. They're in the haram for doing that. And you leaving, if they, even if they get upset, Allah will reward you for giving your wife her right. This is a haqq. That's not just like your parents lived. Now, if she agrees to live with your parents, and she's okay with that, alhamdulillah, may Allah reward her. That's a charity. But things can go really wrong, brothers. I, I advise you, and many scholars advise, don't live with your parents unless it is a dire need. Try to get out of there, because wallahi, I, the amount of conflicts I have seen, it starts off all nice, and then it turns out like they are, you know what they're like? It's like, it's like uh, I don't know, like the way Ya'juj and Ma'juj fight. Just like that, you heard, heard Gog and Magog? Like that. What happened to the love? So my advice to you, brothers and sisters, get your dwelling and be separate. And don't live too close even. Trust me. There's a beautiful rule I heard. Wallah, it's excellent by the experts. They said, as one husband said to his wife in relation to the in-laws and his own parents, he said, don't cut them off completely, but don't be clingy. So don't be clingy, but don't cut off. Somewhere in between. That's a very healthy relationship. And uh, let's go through them very quickly. Al-Mahr. 
Allah says, وَآتُوا النِّسَاءَ صَدُقَاتِهِنَّ نِحْلَةً فَإِنْ طِبْنَ لَكُمْ عَنْ شَيْءٍ مِّنْهُ نَفْسًا فَكُلُوهُ فَكُلُوهُ هَنِيئًا مَرِيئًا Surah An-Nisa, verse 4, Give women their bridal due in good cheer. In good cheer considering it a duty. But if they willingly remit any part of it, consume it with good pleasure. My brothers and sisters, this is the mahar of the wife. And a lot of non-Muslims don't understand this. They think that we're buying the woman. This is not a price for the woman when you get married. It's called a mahar, a sadaq. It is a symbol of your honesty. It's a symbol that you are going to care for her. It's a symbol that she has a right to her property. It means that it's something that the bride she requests it. She tells her dad, Dad, he recommends something. He says, Dad, I want jewelry as a bridal gift. Or she says, I want him to pay for my tuition fees, my university. Or Dad, I want a Hajj trip. Or Father, I want him... In Uganda, my friend said that they, 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 their mahar is usually a chicken or a goat or a cow. I remember my, one of my friends, he's back in Uganda, he said, uh, <laughs> he said the, the, the woman's dowry was a rooster and two eggs. <laughs> Could have been four eggs, that's two eggs and a rooster. And wallahi, the, the day came and the rooster and eggs weren't there. And the woman refused to say yes to the marriage. She says, I want my rooster and eggs right now. Wallahi, they, they went walking, it's big, you know, there's no cars, and then they went, maybe an hour later, got the rooster, brought it in with the eggs, says, there's your mahar. She said, okay, now I agree. And she made lots of money out of that rooster. She made lots of money. So the thing is that it doesn't matter, the mahar can be anything that the wife wants and demands. It can be a lot, it can be a little bit. But the advice that the Prophet ﷺ gave is, take it easy. Don't make marriage difficult. Don't ask for big mahars. Some of them $100,000, $200,000. My, me, my, my culture from the village. 100000 is minimum. I say, where the blip is this guy going to get all this money from? He'll never get married. One brother said to me, it's 150. I've got to give her. Go find another person. Don't worry about her. But I love her. I just step on your heart and move away, man. What do you want to be in living in hell? Come on, get out of here. There's also some cultures which do immediate and deferred. They say, give about, you know, uh, maybe $10,000 worth of jewelry and uh, buy the furniture. In my Lebanese culture, we do that. And then they say there's a deferred amount, meaning upon divorce or death, you give her the rest. Even though that's not really from Islamic uh, ruling, it's allowed. But the point is, it's always owing to her. So make, make Islam and uh, make uh, marriage easy. If she forgives it, fine, then it's gone. Or she remits it, it's okay, as it says in the Quran. My brothers and sisters, so that's the mahr. The second one is living expenses. Allah says, وَعَلَى الْمَوْلُودِ لَهُ رِزْقُهُنَّ وَكِسْوَتُهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ Al-Baqarah 233. He says, it is incumbent upon him who has begotten the child to provide them, the divorced women, their sustenance and clothing in a fair manner. Now this is in relation to divorce. That Allah says, don't neglect her. 
and if she's breastfeeding a child, you've got to give her money also. You've got to spend on it and spend on your child. So if for a divorced woman he has to still provide, then for a married woman is even more important, isn't it? And what I mean by more important is because she's got no one but him. A divorced woman can get remarried, in other words, or her family can provide it. So it is incumbent. And uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, upon the men is to provide them, to clothe them, and to give them bil ma'roof. Bil ma'roof means according to the community that they live in, like the rest of her, women like her. Uh, and to feed and to all that stuff. Tayyip, if a woman wants to feed herself, if a woman wants to work and provide herself, yeah, she can. It's not a problem. So long as it's a halal job, inshallah, and her husband doesn't need her in the house. Uh, that's a, another issue that people have these days. But inshallah, one day we'll talk about it. Uh, Hind, who was the wife of Abu Sufyan, uh, when they converted to Islam, she said, Ya Rasulullah, Abu Sufyan is very stingy. He doesn't give me and provide me. So he said to her, if you are able to quietly go to his pocket and take what you need, then take it. So women, women ask, if my husband doesn't provide me the needs, can I go and take? We say, yes, you can, according to the hadith uh, of the Prophet ﷺ, to Hind, uh, take what you need. What you, what, not want, I said need. Some sisters say, I need, I need. A Porsche. That's what I need. Uh, that's, that's a want. So what you need are your livelihood, your livelihood, the ones that we mentioned before. How much is the minimum? Well, daily necessities known to the community they live in and relative to each man's affordability. And there are three levels. A wealthy upper bracket, middle bracket and lower bracket. So sisters, take it easy on your husband. If you want the love to increase between you, help him. And what is not, not obligatory upon him is supplementary things like a mobile phone, electronic devices, a holiday. All right, she needs a car, he gets her a nice Toyota Corolla. No, she wants the, uh, the, the, the Merc. No. And he, within his measure and these things are non-obligatory. But if he does, the love will increase, inshallah. Of course, it's not materialistic, but it shows your generosity. When is a husband stingy? A husband is stingy, because I hear some sisters, they say, my husband is stingy. Bakhil. When, when I talk to them, I find that he's not stingy. Watch. Stinginess means when the husband does not spend on his obligations. What she means is that he's not extra generous. That's not called stingy. Sometimes a husband likes to manage the money. He says, oh, he's stingy. He's managing it because he's looking after your affairs. What does the Qur'an say? Be generous. Give beyond your obligations. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said this, the best type of spending that you do is upon your family. So be generous. Allah says, live with them on good terms or leave them with generosity. Like even if you leave them and divorce, be generous to them. Finally, brothers and sisters, are independent housing and dwelling. I already addressed that. So she has a right to that. What about the fourth thing is her personal wealth. The husband has no right to her personal wealth without her permission. He has no right to tell her where to spend it, where to donate it, what to do with it. So this is uh, known and established in the hadith of Bukhari. A Muslim Prophet saw Umama, his wife, and uh, she said to him, Ya Rasulullah, 
I uh, donated my wealth into such and such. And he said to her, had you donated it towards your uncles and aunts, you would get more rewards. The reward of kingship and the reward of donation. This shows us that he has no say on her money. And at the same time, he's just advising her and that she can donate without his permission. So you see, taking a little break, brothers and sisters, money management between spouses, the beauty of the Sharia is that it gave each one a financial autonomy to both husband and wife separately. But it encouraged helping each other uh, so that you can grow through mawadda, through love. The first option is to help each other and share your wealth, when, especially when the husband is in difficult times. Uh, each can have a separate account if it doesn't work, or you, the wife can lend her husband the money. Uh, for example, there was a divorced couple, and his wife asked for all the money she spent on the family, saying it was his duty. So she used to spend and help him. And then when they got divorced, she said, I want it all back. I said, why? She said, because it was his duty to spend, so I want it back. And so my question was, did you give it to him out of goodwill? Or did you have agreement, an agreement with him that you're lending it to him? She said, no, there's no agreement that I lent it, but it's his duty. I said, no, no, that's not how it works. You helped him. Didn't you do it for the sake of Allah? You can't request it back. Another divorced couple told me, the husband actually this time, he said, I want all the jewelry back and all the holidays which I spent on her because it was not my duty to spend on her jewelry and holidays, so I want them back. I said, subhanallah, was it a gift from you? Or was it an agreement that you lent her? He said, no, it was from me, of course, as a husband, because I'm a good husband. I said, well, you're not a good husband asking you for it back. So there's no such thing, brothers and sisters. What are you talking about? Finally, the husband's rights. Number one, the wife has to follow her husband and obey him. But Allah says, obey him bil ma'roof, reasonably. Meaning, any, any family has to have a leader. Animals have a leader. Industries have a leader. Businesses have a leader. The workforce has a leader. A government has a leader. Without a leader, there cannot be harmony. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet said, uh, there is no obedience in that which is sinful, but obedience in that which is good and halal. And Allah says, assist one another. Uh, secondly, not to allow into her house anyone he deems not good for his family. I know this might sound a little bit harsh, but it means that the husband, if he sees that there is harm to his family by allowing certain people, she has to respect that and say, I, I can't, I'm not going to let them in. Number three, intimacy is more stressed for the husband. And I said that across many different studies and measures, men have been shown to have more frequent and more intense sexual desires than women. But this is not our topic today. Number four, guard his wealth and property. And number five, guard her chastity in his absence. My brothers and sisters, and now we'll talk about the in-laws in about 10 minutes max, and we'll stop, inshallah. When you get married, you kind of marry your in-laws as well. Kind of. Or, in another word, when you get married, then you have accepted the people who are related to your wife and your husband. And even if a husband and wife get divorced, the father-in-law and mother-in-law, they remain mahrams to you forever. Forever. Do you understand? Why? Because you have grandchildren. And those grandchildren still want their grandfather and grandmother, even if you got divorced. 
So when you marry them, your in-laws do have a certain right to courtesy. Now, I'll teach you very quickly. In dealing with your in-laws, make three circles. Small circle, middle circle, big circle. What are you going to put in those circles? I'll tell you. You and your wife, you and husband have to decide. Well, you, you work it out, inshallah. It takes a few years, actually, to, to get everything into place. Maybe some people in the first few months. The small circle on the inside are only for the husband and wife. They are the husband and wife's privacy. You do not say a single word about it to anyone else outside of you and your spouse. Not your mother, not your father, not your siblings, not your cousins, not your friends. This is your privacy. If you want a good household and you want love to increase between you and no problems, brothers and sisters, have your privacy. It's not shared anywhere, not even on social media. The second circle is the middle circle. That second circle is what you will share only with your family, with your parents, and maybe a little circle above, your siblings. Things that involve your family, meaning your parents and your siblings. Is that understood? You do not share it with anyone else. Finally, the large circle is what you share in public. Unfortunately, this day and age, you know the big circle? For many people now, that's become the middle circle through social media. Everything about their private affairs is on social media, ya ammi. Subhanallah. This is why divorce rates are on the rise. This is why conflict and people staying in a toxic marriage is on the rise. Because you share all your private affairs with everybody. Then people come in and get involved. You're the one who invited them. I don't put the blame on people. I put the blame on you if you're one of them. There is a privacy. Once you share it with your mum and dad or your siblings, guess what happens? They start getting involved because you invited them. You need to draw the boundaries. And you need to tell your mother and father, for example, if they ask any questions about your privacy, say, I'm sorry, mum, wallah, I love you. Kiss her on the forehead and say, hey, this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden me. I don't want to talk about my family. She gets upset. She gets upset. Just because she got upset, it doesn't mean you have to all leave each other. Nah, you still come, you laugh, you smile, you kiss, you say, wallah, I love you, mum. It doesn't mean, you, know, you still show her goodness, but you don't break. You don't give away. Same with your parents. So, brothers and sisters, this is a very important advice. Number two, this is a bad habit in couples when it comes to their parents and in-laws. They tell their parents and siblings everything. Every time they're upset with each other, they go and tell their sibling. He goes and tells his sister. She goes and tells her sister. They go and tell their mum and dad. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Husband and wife will have conflicts all the time. You guys are learning about each other. You'll probably resolve your conflict in three nights. But your parents, guess what? For the next year or two, they're thinking about it. In fact, you would have probably placed an opinion in their head that your wife's a bad woman or her husband's a bad man. Do you understand what happens? Don't talk about everything to them and don't follow everything they tell you. Number three, living separately. We said that. Live separately to your in-laws. Don't be too close. Trust me on that one. Get your privacy because it lessens your stress. Uh, number three, this is a very important point. Naming and raising your children. 
In some cultures, this is my culture, the parents of the son think that they have a right to oblige their son and their daughter-in-law to name their children by their parents, by their grandparents' names. A son, let's say a son, has his first son. And he and his wife want to name him, for example, Muhammad. But the husband's father is Ahmed. And they don't want to name Ahmed. So his parents come in and they make a big fight, big conflict, if he doesn't name after his father. I personally have seen many couples divorce and big wars, wallahi, because of this one problem. Where in, where in the din does it say you have to name? Oh, because you love them. No, get this out of the way. Love is not shown by naming a child by your name. Love is with treatment. Wallahi, this culture is, has destroyed a lot of families. And some of them they just accept it and they go with it. That's fine. The right of naming the child is for the mother and the father only. No one else. No one else. Allah, I know families. The mother, yani the grandmother or the grandfather, they told all of their son's siblings to cut him off and to hate his wife because he didn't name after his father. Isn't that a major sin? Yes, it is a major sin. Did the Prophet ﷺ name after his father or mother? Did any of the Sahabas grab this and say, name that? No. But then they come, oh, it shows your love. Okay, keep that aside. That's a culture. And uh, anyway, that's the right of the mother and father. Lastly, when in-laws wrongfully involve themselves, sometimes the husband or the wife don't know to listen to their wife or to listen to their mother, to listen to her husband, to listen to her father. My brothers and sisters, let me give you a formula to how to separate the two. Let's say you're the son and your mother demands something from you. This is how you look at it. If what your mother tells you to do, just give you an example, mother tells you to do, is about you personally, then obey her. For example, she says, son, drink this milk that I made. Yeah, and she must have... Or drink this sweet that I made. Eat it. Obey your mother and eat it, because that's you. Son, help me lift this thing up. Okay. Son, can you take me <coughs> tomorrow, call the doctor for me, make me an appointment? Yes. But if she tells you to do something that involves something that is shared with your wife, <coughs> then that is not her right. For example, <coughs> she says, son, I want you to have your wife pregnant within the next two years. I want a grandchild. Wallahi, I've heard some parents, they go, if it's not a son, it's not a grandson, I don't want it. Wallahi, I've heard this. So if it's not a grandson, I don't want to see it. How far do you go? That is the right of the son, of the father, of the husband and wife. The mother has no right to do that. He doesn't obey her. Son, let's say the father says, your wife must dress in this way or she can't come in. That's between the husband and wife. Uh, a brother 
or a sister says, your wife should be working here, not there. That's none of their business. None of their business whatsoever. Let's say the family comes together and they say, listen, we've all made a donation box. Everybody's going to take part. All right. The siblings can take part, but their husbands and wives, they don't have to. Nobody has the right to force them and say, why didn't they come in? And if they don't donate and do whatever the family did, they look at them funny. Every time they come in the house, uh, her, him, uh, they're stingy. They don't even take, but they don't love the family. Wallahi, this is haram. This is how you divide people. If you love your children, you love your siblings, get out of their business. Leave them alone. And if they do that to your brother and sister, khalas, have a distance. Have a distance between you and them because you don't want to destroy your family. Don't cut them off, but have a distance. Even if it means the son just goes and visits his parents and the wife from time to time. Doesn't matter. Sometimes they say, your wife has to help in the house, the parents' house, just like your sister-in-laws do. Now, if that's a custom and a tradition, it'll be nicer for the wife to help out of her own goodwill, but she's not obliged. And I say to my sisters and brothers, no, no, help your in-laws. Do good things, because you're building the love anyway. But what I'm saying is that when it comes to a point where, where it becomes like a force and uh, the wife or the husband, they're tired, they're, they're being oppressed, well, you can back off, you don't have to. And lastly, uh, the cultures and customs, I said it, help each other, inshallah. Finally, brothers and sisters, marriage is about harmony, love, and getting together. Be good to your in-laws. Be good to your, brother -in your sister-in-laws, your brother-in-laws. Be good to your wife and husband's family. Be good to each other. Do extra to what you can. If there's conflict, you and your wife, you and your husband, sit down and talk about it. Say, how, how are we going to deal with my mother's jealousy? How are we going to deal with my father's stubbornness? How are we going to deal with my sister or my brother? The wife and husband can talk together and come to a mutual agreement. And for example, one last example, I know a couple, they lived back in Lebanon. They lived in the same apartment, the same uh, building, and it's apartments, right? So the, the parents were at the bottom, and then the, uh, the siblings are on top in each different apartment. So what happened was, uh, every time the son would come in, he would go up to his wife first, because she's second floor, and his mother would be watching. Uh, he's back. He didn't come and say hi to me first. He loves his wife more than me. He had a jealous mother. I think this happens in our societies. So uh, this wife of his, mashallah, she's smart, intelligent. That's the type of woman you should be looking for. A woman who has wisdom and clemency. She sat with her husband and said, listen, I, I can see what's happening. Let's come and work this out together. I know you love me. He says, well, I love you. But my mother, she says, I understand. I understand. Your mother has authority over you. I'm a mother too. Let's agree on this. She said, whenever you come here, go to your mother first. Sit with her, have a couple of bites if she made anything, laugh with her, joke with her, and tell her how much you love her. Spend about half an hour, and then come to me for the rest of the day. He did that. Wallahi, it solved their problem. So sometimes you've got to deal with people in a smart way, according to their personalities. You can't change a person, change your approach somehow. But without losing your connection, without losing your rights, you know, at least your, your spouse's rights or something. I hope, inshallah, this gave us a bit of an indication. 
You do need to read more. You need to look more. I'm sorry again. I, I always take a while. These topics are very big. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you and bless you, my brothers and sisters. هذا وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته.